so yeah, relationships and all this stuff. Um, and so last week I started to lay a foundation by saying that at our core we are relationally oriented. And that is because, as the Bible would, just, would say, that we are created in the image of a relational God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that He is in and of Himself related and relational. Um, if you want to listen to that, it's on podcast. It's uh, trending just below Adele and Lil Wayne, so <laughs> you, won't, you won't have much trouble finding it. But, um, <clears throat> so that's kind of the foundation issue. And so today we're going to continue along that and kind of setting up the structure. And what we're going to talk about tonight, what we're going to talk about tonight and next week, is kind of in asking and addressing the question, what's wrong with my relationships? What's wrong with the way that I do relationships? What's wrong with relationships in general and the way that they're done? Okay, so that's what we're going to try and talk about tonight. So if you would, open up a Bible. If you have it, there are some in the chairs. If you uh, are really edgy and you have one on your iPhone or something like that, maybe just kind of hold your Bible up. Someone may need it. Um, but we're going to turn all the way to Genesis 3. So last week we began on page 1. This week we're going to probably page 2 or 3, depending on your Bible. Or if you're on a phone, just give it one of those right there. Just boop, and you're going to be there. So, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and before I pray and read, I want to say that... Uh, I've, I've read a lot of other people, read sermons, listened to sermons, read books on these subjects. And so if you're thinking, man, that's a great thought, I just want to say it's probably not mine. Um, I don't claim to have many original thoughts when it comes to this topic. So uh, I want to just give you that fair disclaimer up front. But before we read, uh, let's turn to God in, in prayer real quick. God, I pray that when we um, look into your word in just a moment, that you would meet us. And that you would take this time from being just a talk to being something that is powerful. And that even, maybe for some of us, some of us is life-changing. Lord, I know that my words aren't persuasive enough in and of themselves to do that. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to come. And to meet my words in these people's hearts. Lord, and to meet them in my own heart. That I would, I would speak from conviction personal change myself. So we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified and that Jesus would be more beautiful than he's ever been. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'll look down Genesis chapter 3, this reading is going to be a little longer than last week, but um, I'm not going to talk about all the verses tonight, so that's my disclaimer. Beginning in verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will, surely die. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and of dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. To dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Thus far as the reading of God's word, thank him for it. Last week, as I mentioned, I suggested that at the core of who we are, uh, are people who are created to be in relationships. We are created to relate to one another in deep and intimate ways, and that is because we are created in the image of God who himself is loving and who himself is in relationship. And I also suggested that 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 relationship between each other and also between God and us is no longer the way it should be because something has happened. Now you all know this experientially because as you, uh, if you've ever dated or if you've ever liked a guy or liked a girl or even beyond that, in relationships with your parents, your siblings, whatever it is, you know that relationships are hard. There's something there that wasn't the way that it was in the beginning. Because in the beginning, Adam and Eve were together and it was good and it was beautiful and everything was right. So if I were to ask you, and we were to kind of take a poll, or if I were to say, hey, go to Barnes & Noble, or go online to Google or whatever, and do a search and do a little research on what actually are the biggest problems in relationships, what are the kind of things that would come to mind? Okay, think about it. Um, Most any and every search you will do will come up with things like communication. And most of you kind of know what that means, but you don't really know because you're thinking, how hard is it to just talk? Uh, I assure you that... uh, If you're in a relationship for any amount of time, communication becomes huge. It becomes vastly important as you talk about plans and expectations uh, and dreams and ideas. Communication, it gets to be a big problem. Also, something you might find is trust. Trust is, uh, or lack of trust maybe, is rampant in relationships. and It leads to all sorts of infidelity. Or you may also find uh, things like scheduling or things that are really boring like that. And if you're married in here, you would say that sex is a problem. Now, because you're not married, you're like, what? You are crazy. I thought sex was a solution. Um, <clears throat> but talk to anyone who's been married for a while, and you will actually add sex to that list, because it's complicated. It is very confusing. 
It is, and it's only that way, and it makes sense because it is part of a relationship, and the relationship itself is broken and confusing. But what I think we'll see tonight is that the Bible is decidedly way more simplistic about what it says our problem is. Way more simplistic about what is really going on and what the biggest problem is in our relationships. And what is the biggest problem in our relationships? Me. And for you, the biggest problem in your relationships is you. And as you're thinking, wow, Brent, that feels great. I'm glad I walked all the way over here, and some of you actually drove here, to hear that you are what's wrong with your relationships. Now, if you'll give me a moment, I'll kind of spell that out and why I think this is so and why the Bible is saying this. You see, God created Adam and Eve, and He defined the, the way that life would work for them ideally. And that they would have jobs, and they would work, and they would be fulfilled in these jobs. And God put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, go tend this and do this. And He gave them uh, this commandment to go out and multiply. And so they were presumably having all sorts of great sex, and it was wonderful. And they would go to work, and they'd come home and have sex. Just this great life. And it was simple, and it worked, and it was great. It was exactly how you thought it should be. Well, let me give you another illustration. Bobby and Jane are in college. Bobby and Jane met at a, par- at a friend's apartment about two weeks ago. And they were in a group, and they were playing games and doing different things. But they kind of noticed each other. Bobby thought Jane was pretty cute, and Bobby had this really curly hair that Jane thought was just really something. So they kind of began to, they began to flirt. All the curly guys were going like, yeah, what's up? Um, they began to flirt as the night went on from across the room, and they would cut eyes at each other and all sorts of things. But at the end of the night, that was really that. But the seed had been planted, right? Bobby and Jane left, and all they could think about were those glances that they caught at each other. All they could think about was each other and the limitless possibilities of where they might go. Jane was even scribbling a last name on her paper. (sighs) The next day, Bobby goes and talks to his best friend whose apartment it was, and he actually had grown up with Jane. And he he asked his friend for Jane's phone number, and so Bobby got it, and he started texting Jane. Very subtly at first, just one here and there. Hey, Jane, this is Bobby. I met you last night. You guys know how that goes. And after about three days um, of, really, let's be honest, pretty heavy texting, right? Just kind of throughout the day, you wake up in the middle of, oh my gosh. (laughs) And let's be honest, some of those three and four in the morning, hi, just thinking about you, wanted to let you know. Some of that went on also. And after a few days, Bobby was sure that he wanted to date Jane. He wanted to kind of make it a little more official. So he texted her and said, Hey Jane, do you want to get together? I want to talk about something. And Jane obviously was no dummy, was very excited and said, Sure, what do you want to do? And so they got together a couple days and at first he came over to her apartment and she was thrilled as she watched him and his roommates play Xbox for an hour. And they did that, and then finally he decided, okay, maybe we should do something. So he, rent and, he went and spent a dollar and rented her a Redbox movie. And he asked her if he could go back to her apartment to watch the movie, which was fine, actually, because her roommate wasn't there. And so they went back there. And it was during that movie, of which neither one of them were watching, because they're too busy, like, touching and doing these things, and playing footsie, 
that Bobby turned to Jane and said, Jane, I actually kind of want to just date you. And Jane was very excited and said, well, Bobby, that's what I want. Let's do it. And so they continued to text. <laughs> and they actually talked sometimes. And, they, and as time went on, they actually would spend more time together. And they began making out. They began having these times where they would spend kind of these long, passionate nights just kissing on the couch because it's great, right? And that's what they did. But suddenly, Bobby stopped texting Jane back as quickly as, as he once did. There began to be a few minutes between texts, and Jane's insecurity began to grow, thinking, what has happened? What is going on? Suddenly, Bobby seemed much busier than he had been really previously In an effort to not seem too anxious or too forthright or, heaven forbid, desperate, Jane stopped texting Bobby so much. And she noticed that when she stopped, that the communication went down. But she tried not to be too upset about it. She tried to reason that, you know, this kind of stuff just happens. But she couldn't escape the question of what's wrong with me? Why would Bobby stop texting me? I I didn't do anything wrong. What's wrong? Bobby, on the other hand, had gotten a little busier in school, but mostly he had noticed a, little girl, a new girl in his partial Diffie Q class. And he thought she was pretty cute, namely because she was the only girl in his partial Diffie Q class. <laughs> and over time, as Bobby began to hang out with this new girl, Jane became a distant memory. And when he finally came around to talking to her, he admitted and said, you know, it just wasn't doing it for me anymore. Uh, I've moved on. And they resolved they would be just friends, right? Most of us would look at Bobby and, and say without much hesitation that he was a jerk. <laughs> and that what happened in this situation is really his fault. But I would suggest that what happened to him in this situation happens to us, each one of us, in a thousand different ways. It happens to all of us and it plays out differently. And what it is, that is that the impulse of what happened with Bobby... And what happens with many of you in relationships is that you refuse to be defined by anyone else. You you refuse to let anyone else have claim to you and to kind of be able to say that this is what we are. And this for this reason that most of you, when I mention the word dating, you're like, I don't even date anymore. We just text and make out. It's a lot easier. It makes the breakup a lot easier because you're never dating in the first place. You simply want to do what you want to do. You don't want anyone else to be able to kind of lay claim on you. And what I want to suggest from the passage tonight is that when you get those impulses of not wanting anyone else to have any claim over you or not wanting anyone else to be be able to define or say, you're mine, you get at the very heart of what's going on in this passage with Adam and Eve. Because what's resonating deep within you was resonating deep within them. Because as the crafty serpent who is widely regarded to be Satan himself, when he first tempted Eve and then Adam to eat, he goes right at the heart and asks them this question that actually isn't being asked, but is being asked. And the serpent is saying, who will you follow? Who will you give your life to? Where is your allegiance going to be? Because God had already said, Adam and Eve, this is the way. I'm defining how the world works for you. It'll be great. And remember, it was great. 
they were having great sex and the relationship was perfect and they loved each other. But Eve came, or the, the serpent came in and started to cast doubt. And Adam and Eve made that choice for us as acting as our representatives. Adam, the one who received the commandment from God, abdicates his responsibility and lets his wife eat. And the way the Bible sees it, as I mentioned, is that Adam acted as representative for all of us. And so when Adam and Eve began to doubt God and began to want their own life, they wanted to be like God themselves, to define their own reality, that that begins what plays out for all of the rest of humanity. That at the core of us, from where there was once this loving and perfect relationship with each other and with God, is now replaced by an inward-focused, self-centered desire. And we are no longer defined by God and what He says, but we begin to be defined by ourselves and what we want out of life. Many of us don't even know this, but you do know that you want to do what you want to do. And that is what's resonating deep within this passage. And I want to tell you, for some of you this is going to be hard, but I want to tell you that as long as you are fundamentally committed to your own happiness in relationships, as long as you are, as you are fundamentally committed to your own personal fulfillment in life, then I cannot help you. As long as you are bent on that course, then the Bible itself cannot help you. Because you will forever move in a direction that says, I'm going to, be, I'm going to do what I want. And I want to do everything that I want to do. I don't want anyone else, anyone else to define that for me. I want to be happy, and I will do whatever it takes to get that. And when you're there, you can't be helped because the, initi- the issue will inevitably turn back on you. And this isn't the way it's supposed to be. That you aren't meant to live as the final be-all to end all the be-all. You weren't supposed to answer the question of says who. Well, I do, because it's what I want to do. That wasn't meant to be you in that place. That was supposed to be God. But Adam and Eve chose otherwise. And we, as those who are descended from them, have it deep within our hearts. It is now part of our nature of who we are to want that exact same thing. Now let's for a moment... So if the problem out there is self-centeredness, is a rebellion from God, is, is turning away and doing what we want to do, then I want to suggest that there are implications for that. That means several things for us. And the first thing that I want to say is, is we look at how this plays out is that our self-centeredness, I would suggest, leads us to a raging insecurity. Raging insecurity. I hardly have to even say much else. Because you live with you. And you know what that's actually like to not get texted right back. Right? You know what those moments are like when you see him or her or whatever, walking across campus, kind of talking joyfully with somebody else. And you start to wonder, what's going on? What did I do? What's wrong? And you begin to panic. And you think, but Brent, I'm insecure because of what others do to me. It's not because of me. It's because everyone else is doing this to me. I want to say not so fast. 
Look back down in verse 8, if you would, and let's see why I would say that. Verse 8 through 10 says, And they heard the sound, this is Adam and Eve, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he, Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Look, the three words there in verse 10 literally have the power, and for many of you, they actually define your life. I was afraid. I was afraid. I became scared of you, God. I became scared of what everyone else thought about me because I was naked and I didn't like it. When I was studying this passage, there was a guy uh, who I listened to a lot and he had a lot to say on this topic. His name is Les Newsom. He's a pastor from Mississippi. And he says this, and it's a decently long quote, uh, just three or four pages. I'm uh, just kidding. Um, but hang with me. He says, insecurity is the number one killer of relationships, period. It's the number one killer. Fear of breaking up, fear of being embarrassed, fear of pain, fear of being alone, fear of exposure, fear of being a failure, fear of being too heavy or too thin. Fear dominates our dating relationships. What is wrong with your relationships is not that you don't care enough about the person you're dating What's wrong with your relationships is that you care too much about the person that you're dating. You've invested in them the burden to make sense of your life. Because of that, you're happy when they're happy with you. And you are depressed and distraught when for some reason they are no longer happy with you. And they want to move on. In those those moments, you know that insecurity reigns in your relationship. It reigns strong. As I mentioned last week, we're looking at others and we're seeking to find in them the kind of security in them that we can only find in God. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. You can listen to last week. But that is the truth. That God, only God can fill the deepest voids of our heart. Only in Him can we find security. That was last week. Again, I don't think I have to uh, go into much illustration about stuff that's happened with you, so I'll just talk about me for a second, because that's much easier. Um, Enough about you, more about me. Uh, This is uh, not a self-boasting. This is more of, you're about to see what an idiot I am. Um, When Sarah and I were dating, we lived in Nashville. And by dating, I mean I had started texting her a lot. And um, (laughs) she was in physical therapy school and was incredibly busy. Uh, I was an intern with RUF, and I was not incredibly busy. And so uh, I had lots of time to think, and I had lots of time to text. And um, I had lots of time, apparently, to drive by her apartment. (laughs) And I would, at times, drive by her apartment, and I would see, well, I would see cars out there, and I didn't know whose cars they were. And it was just a three-unit apartment, and so I pretty well figured out the lay of the land. But the BMW went to that one. And the Toyota Corolla went to that one. And every once in a while there would be a car and I didn't know. And so what did I do? Well, naturally, I figured that, well, Sarah must be in there with some other guy. Uh, She must have found someone who's better than me or better looking or funnier than me or whatever. And so uh, I would have just let her go, right? 
wrong. Um, I kind of buckled down. And I said, I'm not going to let her get away. I can't. This is too important. So I started texting her more. <laughs> I started really putting the, the, the floor, <laughs> the pedal to the metal, and I started really intensifying that pursuit. Now, thankfully, it's the same Sarah who's in the back of the room, so the, you know the rest of the story. But as we began to talk about it, after we were much more secure in our dating relationship, she said that actually, you know, wasn't your finest moment, Brent. <laughs> that wasn't the most attractive thing you've ever done. <laughs> and what I want to suggest is that, that the natural self-centeredness, because I was in it for me, that natural bent towards self-centeredness led to a raging insecurity which then in turn, in me, led to desperation. And I was trying to find something in that relationship, which she, on her best day of texting, could never give me. Some of us have figured out, however, that uh, usually through a lot of pain and trial, we've actually figured out, and we know ourselves well enough to know that we can't help ourselves. You know, like I found out, that Left to myself, I wasn't going to get out of that problem. I was going to continue to text. I was going to continue to bury myself in this insecurity. Some of you are there. And honestly, in your minds, what you feel and what you think about yourself is that you're crazy. Have any of you ever had that thought? You just kind of nod silently. I'll nod with you. Because as you're in there and as you're left to your own selfish thoughts and as you're as you're predisposed to wanting what you want and wanting to do what you want to do, it's hard to get out of that. There's nothing out there that can speak more loudly than the own voice that you have, the own uh, open line of communication you have with yourself. It is loud and clear. And what I want to suggest is that if relationships are ever going to be something that is enjoyable for you, or that you can approach in, in a healthy way, then you have to start by being redefined. There has to be something else, another voice that comes in and begins to take you away from you. That begins to take your eyes away from looking at only you. And begins to take your mind from only thinking about the ways that you don't add up. Or how beautiful you are in some ways. Or all these things. You have to begin to be reoriented, relationally speaking. But you can't do that by yourself. Because why? What's the problem? Yourself. You are the problem. You can't fix yourself. But it gets worse. Cheer up. Uh, Not only does our self-centeredness make us insecure, I would would suggest that our self-centeredness leads us to rebellion. It leads us to rebellion. And I will talk to you about this by means of telling you a few more personal stories. I'm no shame, all right? I got an open book pass because it's ugly, and I hope you can learn from it. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, we lived across the street from a golf course. It wasn't a nice golf course, it was just a golf course. And every Memorial Day and Labor Day, they'd have a big golf tournament. And at golf tournaments, everyone goes and buys new golf balls because they think it'll make them play better. It doesn't. Um, but what they do then is that inevitably on the holes with water in them, these holes just collect golf balls, tons, tons of new golf balls. And as someone who was a golfer myself and as someone who knew how much new golf balls wanted to, uh, how much they cost, I and a few of my friends said, 
yeah, we're going to go into the ponds at nighttime and get some of those golf balls. And you know what the best and worst part about it was? We knew it was wrong. We spent enough time at the golf course to know that when they caught people doing that, it was an offense. They would turn them over to the police because those golf balls, they could resell them, and they became very valuable for the pro shop. So one night we went in, and we made not one night. Gosh, we did it 50 times. Um, <laughs> don't do what I did. Um, but one night, there was one night, when we got out of the pond, we had just made a huge haul. We took them home. <laughs> we took them home. And it wasn't enough. We wanted to get chased by the maintenance people. And so what did we do? Well, we went and just kind of started walking around the golf course in places where we knew they would be because they cut the grass at night. And then it happened. They caught sight of us. And they were suspicious anyway because this was a lucrative thing. Um, they caught sight of us and they began to chase us. But it wasn't in a mower. It was in one of the, like the mule, the workmen. And those, those things are fast, right? It's like getting chased by a four-wheeler. You're not going to win. And so we got chased across the golf course for the sheer delight in doing something that was wrong. Right? That was it. That was the only fuel to us. Is, this is wrong. It's going to be awesome. And I don't know what else to do. Let's go. And so we did it because it was wrong. Uh, also, in my childhood, I was a rollerblader. That's fun to say. Um, <clears throat> and I and my friends, I had great friends, right? It's all their fault. Um, we would sit at a very busy intersection. And when trucks would pass, we would jump out from behind a bush or behind something else. And we would grab onto the tailgate of a truck to where they couldn't see us and we'd just go flying down the road 40, 50 miles an hour. It's stupid and it was wrong and it was exhilarating. And I want to say that that is just something coming out from deep within me. I blame it on Adam, right? It's his fault. Some of you though, um, some of you know that within your own hearts, that those longings are there, many of you do. That you're captivated by the idea of rebelling for rebellion's sake. And we do this in our relationships, too. Some of us, yes, we just do it, maybe in regard to the law or in regard to the honor code. Some of us are doing it, we're rebelling from our parents who have had way too much control over your life for the last 18 years. And I'll be talking to you about that probably for the rest of your life. Um, as you work through that. Some of you, though, will take a more direct reproach. And you decided that the God that you grew up with in the church, or if that uh, wasn't you, that God himself is just too boring. Or that he's too... Uh, he has too many rules. And to follow him is going to make my life boring and miserable. And so you rebel for rebellion's sake. You want to do something that's more fun. You want to be a little more edgy. In our relationships, it looks this way. Guys, we spend most of our time, not most of our time, that would be an exaggeration, you spend far too much time, and even girls, looking at porn online. And if nothing else, for the sheer fact that it's wrong. There is a certain delight that comes in knowing that you're doing something that you shouldn't do. That deep within you, you know is wrong. Others of you find delight and just getting others to like you. And so you play games with people. And you manipulate their minds. And you won't usually just do that to one person at a time. You kind of have lots of people you do it to. All in an effort just to get them to like you. And you know it's wrong, but you can't stop. It's electric. It's euphoric. 
to have other people just like you for you. And girls, some of you like to date the bad boys who for nothing else, you just know that it's wrong and he's kind of crazy and I kind of like it. And when you start to feel that and that sentiment starts to come within you, I want to say it is your selfish, self-centeredness playing out in rebellion. And this kind of thinking creates its own set of problems. Freshmen, for some of those, uh, some of you who may not believe me, talk to some of the seniors in the room, some of the older people, talk to the Bible study leaders, come and talk to me, and let us tell you that pursuing your own selfish interests to their natural conclusion, which is more selfishness and more self-centeredness in the using of other people and the abusing of relationships to get your own ends and your own desires, to pursue that to its end is like chasing a relational rainbow that has a pot of gold at the end that is empty. Don't believe me? I'll tell you. Come and ask me. That as long as you are bent on getting as being as happy as you can be and getting whatever you want out of a relationship, you will forever be rebellious and you will be insecure and you will be outside of being helped because your biggest problem is you. And we need then to be redefined. We need to be reoriented at our core to what we were created to be. I'll close in looking back at the passage. After their flagrant rebellion and in the midst of the subsequent insecurity that followed and knowing uh, and being so afraid, what does God do? Look at verse 9 at the end. God doesn't leave them to themselves to wallow in their shame and in their insecurity. God comes looking for them. And He says, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? Some of you think that when God sees you, He wants to run the other way. Because of the baggage you bring in from relationships. Because of the way that you have manipulated people your whole life to get what you want. Some of you think God wants nothing to do with you. And what I want you to see is that God, rather than going away from you, comes toward you. And He comes and says, where are you? I know that you're afraid. I know that you're scared. I know that you're naked. I know that you're embarrassed. I know that this is no longer the way it should be. And friends, God doesn't leave Adam and Eve to themselves, and He doesn't leave us to ourselves. Look in verse 21. It says, And then the Lord God made for Adam and Eve and for His wife, made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. How, if we need to be reoriented, if we need to be redefined, how is it that that happens? Friends, it will only happen when you begin to look less at yourself and you begin to fix your eyes on one who has come to clothe you when you begin to be less defined by your past failures or your past struggles, your past sin, and you begin to become defined by one who God sent to clothe you. 
You see, God sent Jesus Christ to clothe you with something better than you. He came to clothe you in His perfection. His righteousness. So that you can look at your shame and your disappointment and your failure and your insecurity and your rebellion dead in the eye and say, that no longer has power over me because Jesus took it from me. And friends, make no mistake, He took it because it drove Him to the cross because God had to punish that rebellion. He had to punish that selfishness. And so there's Jesus hanging on the cross. And so He takes the punishment for our rebellion. But don't miss what all of the Gospels say about it. That when He hung on the cross, He hung there naked. That Jesus Himself became an embarrassing sight so that you wouldn't have to be. He, he bore the wrath of God's displeasure, yes. But He also took on your greatest insecurity. And on the cross, He said, My God, my God, why have You left me? Why have You forsaken me? So that if you desire to be clothed in Him, you can hear the Father look at you and say, I'm right here. I have clothed you in My Son Jesus. That's an invitation to Him. And until you have Him at your core, until the work of Christ defines you, you will forever run about rebelling and insecure in your relationships. Let's pray. God, I pray then that You would do what only You can do, and that is give us faith to believe it. So we ask, would You, even in uh, this last song, would You come and work faith in our hearts to see our need for Jesus and to see what Jesus has done for us. We pray this and ask it in His name. Amen.